Hello and welcome to Big Conversations. My name is Tia Diemo. We've had technical difficulties, but we're happy to be here today, Saturday, September 18th, oops, June 18th. Um, I'm the publisher of Ladies Corner Magazine and the curator of BIPOC Media, ladiescorner.ca. My name is Tia Diemo. At Big Conversations, you may be wondering what Big Conversation is all about. We explore bugging community issues in a very big way. We ask that you support our work, you sponsor the work we do. Please visit ladiescorner.ca um, forward slash supporters for more information. Um, Dunia Noor is of African descent, residing in Edmonton. She has a dual degree in social work and bachelor and a bachelor of child and youth care and executive education certificate in business and executive leadership. She's currently the president of the African Canadian Civic Engagement Council, a national public affairs organization. Um, ASEC's mandate is to protect and promote uh, people of African descent, dignity and human rights while celebrating um, our people's significant contribution to our society and worldwide. She has over 15 years experience in creating mutual aid initiatives that build um, communities, uh, creating an inclusive society. She joins us tonight to talk about the work of Black Muslim women in Edmonton. As you all know, Black Muslim women have been under a lot of uh, persecution and tribulation lately. Um, she, she joins us to bring a unique perspective um, as to the importance of our Black Muslim sisters. And I'm going to say a big hello and welcome to uh, Ms. Dunia Noor. Hello, sister. Thank you so much for having me, sister. I could not finish your introduction. I was, you know, really getting myself clumsy and all worked up. And I did not say everything. And the paragraph I missed was you have a passion and expertise to create thriving communities where everyone has an equal opportunity to feel safe. And yesterday you were rewarded with a, a community justice award. So congratulations, sister. Thank you so much, sister. Did you feel that that award recognized your achievement, your passion and your work in the city? Uh, the truth is, although as the president of ASAC, uh, I represented ASAC, but it's not just me. It's a team. It's a coalition of people that have shared values from our operations, our leadership, our board of directors, to our management, to our frontline staff that are boots on the ground. And then I'm just one in that like larger equation. So we did it together as a team. And one of the things that we got awarded for is leading one of the best practices in terms of understanding what community uh, safety and community health and community wellness looks like. And when I say safety, typically uh, for people of African descent, the issue with anti-Black racism um, and being over-policed and surveillanced and so on and so forth, safety is very different in terms of how we define safety. Um, we're privileged that the provincial government of Alberta has recognized the work we do and honored our own interventions and our own African indigenous knowledge systems to create healing modalities, programs like the stabilization program, uh, the entrepreneurship ENSA program, the uh, prevention of gender-based violence program, and the impact of race and cultural reports that we do for the courts. It took a team 
for us to have that award. And I'm very thankful that all of us as a team, our work and our efforts have been recognized. And whether it was recognized or not, hey, this is the community that we're from, we believe in it. So we would still do the same thing regardless of whether recognition is there or not. And, and that was very passionate and it's come right from your heart there and very humble as well to acknowledge that you have a mighty community behind you, a community that recognize what you do, a community that lift up your hands. And I've seen you so many times, sister, in action. And I see now your sisters fight for you. You know, you're one special, I'm a very special advocate. Um, so thank you for the work you do. So I want to look at... Um, uh, a segment of society that you're very passionate about. I know you're passionate about everyone that is of African descent, but our Black Muslim women have suffered maybe a bit more than other women, you know, of African descent because of their faith and their religion. And I want to say, I suppose the first question is, let's talk about the achievements and accomplishments and the value our sisters bring to this city? And could you just shed light for those who, who may not even know how important our Black sisters are, Black Muslim sisters are? Absolutely. Um, you know what I say, Sister T? I always say, just go around 118 and look at 107 Ave and 118 Ave in Edmonton. It was areas that were heavily policed. There were mass shootings. Um, there was a lot of social illness that was going on in that area. Um, and it was heavily surveillanced and the violence was intense. But you know what the Black Muslim community predominantly, um, what they have done, especially women leadership, what have we done? We went to that area and we built businesses and we created an intentional community that looks at entrepreneurship, but from a human, like from a human centered perspective, uh, motivating one another, teaching youth about entrepreneurship, bringing women into the equation, all of, I, I walk down 118 app and I literally see over 40 businesses, all by people of African descent. And you're right, majority of those businesses, to be very blunt and honest, are people that have the intersectionality, the leaders, the founders uh, that, you know, contribute to the economic fabric of Alberta and matter of fact, assisted in its recovery and ensured that as a community, we are thriving and we're exclusive and specific focus on equity seeking uh, communities as well. What do you notice? You see that it's African Muslim women. And why is it important? These are mother, these are mothers, these are sisters, and they came directly from the motherland. And this is a community that intimately understands what it feels um, to be survivors, to be targeted, sorry, by, by racism and xenophobia and Islamophobia and anti-Black racism and Afrophobia. They came directly from the motherland, they're newcomers, they had to learn English was not their first language, French was not their first language. They had to learn everything, old, like from, they had to start everything um, from nothing pretty much. And now they're thriving and they're giving more opportunities to our sisters and brothers in the larger black community. So with that being said, um, it breaks my heart that these are the same people that are being attacked and targeted for hate motivated violence that is gendered, that is Islamophobic, and that is also anti-black racism. And just like you said, 
the attacks speak to the intersectionality of the community that is being targeted. They're not just targeted because they're, the, they're from the women community. They're actually African women and they're Muslim women and they're visibly Muslim women. And these women is women like my mother, my sisters, my cousins, my aunties, and it breaks our heart. But you know, we're very resilient and we adapt to harsh environment because we came from environments that bear the brunt of the consequences of colonization. Um, and that led to civil war. We were displaced. We experienced human atrocity. We experienced genocide. And we overcame all of that. And that's why even when you look at Black folks, it's important to understand that there's intersectionality in terms of even their pre-migration and post-migration story, right? There are those that were forcefully out of their land, dislocated, displaced, and are experiencing multiple of different issues, but somehow thrive. And therefore, I would say our community is resilient. Mm. I, I want to start clapping, but I calm down. Um, I've been on 118 so many times. And for some reason, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm hiding behind the camera, um, mm -hmm. behind my mic. For some reason, um, okay, so actually this is what this is what I was gonna say. Would you attribute your resilience to the generosity of Alberta, the city they're in, or to inbred heroism and the you know um and the power of women generally to adapt? The first question. The second question is I feel 118 has been um is also a very poor neighborhood, sister. I feel 118 has a lot of houselessness and I feel 118, if maybe more resources, look 118 is not like in London, there's Bond Street where you have the most expensive shops. Right. 118 reeks of poverty and danger as well. But, but I hear what you're saying. Could you please speak to both and why the city may, is not even doing more to bring more vibrancy and more money onto 118 and 107? I'll, I'll start answering the first, uh, the second question first, if that's okay. When I think of 118, as you said, um, 118 Ave, Alberta Ave is what I'll refer to throughout this uh, segment of the podcast. Alberta Ave is vibrant, is powerful. It has diverse cultures. It's on Treaty 6 territory. And the community that made it vibrant is actually people of African descent. To the point that if it was up to me and if I had the power and the energy to lobby, I would even call it Africanville, simply because you could see how multiple of different tribes, um, and when I say tribes, I'm talking about various of different cultural experiences and different cultural communities um, come together. So um, in this interview, I want to shed light on the power of 118 Ave. I don't see it as a place, and this is just maybe my socialization, I just don't see it as a place that is impoverished or, or going through a lot of um, violence. I see that it was a place that was highly violent. Uh, I see that it was a place that was highly surveilled and you know um, policed. Um, however, we need to give credit to the African community, in particular, the African Muslim community that made that area a safe place, that made that area uh, an entrepreneurial hub, that made that area, um, you can walk 
the businesses are thriving. You'll see children, you'll see grandmothers, you'll see families, you'll see art and the art, you'll see indigenous art, you'll see African indigenous art as well. And it's powerful and it's beautiful. I mean, you're right. There's definitely lack of investment in 118 Ave. And that's something that we need to hold the city of Edmonton and its leadership accountable for it. Um, but I would say, if you pick all of Edmonton and ask me, what is the most vibrant area, the most resilient area, the most powerful area, the most diverse area and, and thriving in terms of business, and the collective women community and that unites uh, people predominantly that are of African descent, I would say it's 118 Ave. It's funny, I've literally grew up there and I, I don't, I, I find that it's a beautiful space. Matter of fact, at the African Canadian Civic Engagement Council, that's literally where our office is situated in. We're in the heart of 118 Ave. We're in 94th Street and 118 Ave. That's literally where we work. Every day I just walk there peacefully, I walk 40 minutes, one hour during my lunchtime, my lunch break. And I just love how the community is, is just thriving. Mm. I think it's a place that's undervalued, but it's also a place that's thriving and making Edmonton the uniqueness that it is. Do you know what? I, I agree with you. I, you. I've been to your office so many times and you're right. It is a 118. How could I have forgotten that? Lately, the city of Edmonton had been talking about how to improve Chinatown, but did you know if 118 was part of any of that conversation, if any of that money will be ending on Alberta Avenue or 118? Well, what I could tell you is that that's not a discussion that I came across, um, but I'm hoping that Alberta Ave, and in particularly 118 Ave, and 107 Ave, which is the areas that Black people in Alberta are winning. And that's where we build wealth and business and community and culture um, and trades and so on and so forth. I'm hoping that there's investment there, especially with the city of Edmonton's um, anti-racism framework. It would be a disservice if the city did not include in terms of resourcing 118 Ave. Um, and from my understanding, T, I'm going to give you a little bit of a surprise spoiler. Um, I was going to say that I believe a lot of um, the community, a lot of communities of African descent that are Muslims came together and they actually talked to our mayor and they said that let's talk about 118 Ave. Let's talk about 107 Ave. Let's talk about what Edmonton has in place for areas like this and what are the you know, potential investment. And I'm not talking about gentrification where you just move people out and you make things um, not affordable and intentionally discarding people that are lower income. We're talking about having a inclusive community for equity seeking people, uh, for equity seeking communities that are most marginalized and most excluded, but that could still contribute, that could still be part of the community that won't get kicked out just because now it's a thriving area. We're talking about a human-centric Afro, uh, human centric and Afrocentric lens in terms of the concept of humanity. We're talking about Ubuntu, we're talking about oneness. And through that, um, that's how we want to build businesses. Uh, to always remember the human aspect of everything rather than the capitalism aspect of it, right? So um, we're very happy that our mayor took the opportunity 
and coming up very soon, he will actually be walking by foot from all across 118 Ave. Wow. And then 107 Ave. And he's going to visit every single African business. And he's going to say, what is the issue that you have in terms of anti-Black racism, in terms of xenophobia, in terms of Islamophobia, in terms of investment in the city in your areas, how to better support you recovering from COVID-19? And that's coming up very soon. So the fact that that is done, it shows me that the city is incorporating some methods. And I, and I hope that, you know, that will be implemented and it's not just performative. But at the same time, they're, they're doing it. Collabor uh, collaboratively, sorry, co-created with community rather than just top down coming from the city, but rather bottom up. So that's, you could see this is a community that could advocate for themselves. And that's what we did. We brought the mayor and we said, hey, wear your nice sneakers. You will walk down the block with us and you will get to know who we are. And it is a long block, and but all the women, most of the stores there, you're right, Black Muslim women, and they are successful women in their own right, women who have braced the climate, who have braced the culture to thrive. Um, you know what these women are talking about. I'd like to ask you, what would they like to see more of? Would they like to see more police officers? Would they like to see more garbage dumping? One, and then two, how have they dealt with rise of Islamophobia 118? How have they dealt with rise of xenophobia? How have they dealt with anti the rise of anti-Black racism? Because it is an issue as white supremacy is also on the rise. If you ask me, and I'm not speaking for everybody there, I want to make it very clear. I'm speaking for the individuals that I I closely work with, which is a lot of communities, actually across 118 Ave and 107 Ave, almost every business owner is related to my mom or dad. So that's <laughs> family. Um, so oh, what I would cool. say is they are not, in my opinion, it's communities like this that would advocate for harm reduction, um, insight spaces, more programs for houselessness rather than punishing poverty and making it into a, a criminal issue rather than that looking at it from um, a community health issue community wellness issue right um, also in my opinion they're looking at investment in terms of their own businesses for example i know that especially when it comes to the federal government of canada they have done an incredible job in terms of investing in black black led black owned businesses but my question is always, living in Alberta, right, uh, living in Western Canada, which is typically isolated, and although if you look at the Black community, the number one largest Black population across Canada is Toronto, second is Ottawa, and third is Alberta. Alberta, they are concentrated in, in Edmonton, right? And therefore, those communities that own those businesses is what makes up the largest community. And they're typically, they have the multiple intersection of understanding what it means to be displaced, understanding um, the issue of refugee, understanding the issue of Islamophobia and understanding anti-Black racism. So, um, and understanding how serious and how real, you know, gender-based violence is. A lot of them lost their families to that. So, um, and understanding the issue in terms of neo-Nazi white supremacist groups, um, because they, they face that, they, that is the reality, right? So the question is, 
what would make these communities thriving? Like, sorry, what would help these communities in terms of like how to thrive? In my opinion is invest in their own personal business, make um, capital for them so they can actually hire more people, train more people, right? Um, and then create opportunities of insight, uh, sorry, create opportunities of harm reduction. Uh, because believe it or not, harm reduction makes communities like that particular area and 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 um, demographic in terms of in Edmonton, Alberta, 118 Ave. Harm reduction is a beautiful model that actually looks at the social illness, but meets individuals where they're at and protects all communities. In my opinion, this is my opinion. Um, and then the the second thing is investing in more community garden in that area having libraries in that area. Um, there's already a community league in that area that's called Alberta Ive Community League. It's beautiful. If you walk by it, it's just, there's flowers surrounding it, right? But when you go to, it's sad because when you go to like White Ave, the businesses are thriving, then you come to Alberta Ave, you come to um, 118, and you're right. You see a bunch of garbage dumped everywhere. You see broken doors. You see that it's already over-policed. Has it solved anything? Absolutely not, right? It just makes our men and our young boys a lot more scared because they're more, according to research and according to our own lived experience and realities, they're more likely to be profiled. So more policing will not solve the issue, but I think more investment, more social services um, care, and more investment for individuals living with mental health and houselessness, and more resources for individuals living with addictions and also investing in black black led black owned programs that is what the community is asking for and that is an anti-racist approach as well and that's something that should be taking into significant consideration they're also asking for a campaign that addresses islamophobia um, a campaign that addresses anti-black racism a campaign that addresses gender-based violence and a campaign that not only draws attention to the adversary of what the community went through, but a campaign that actually looks at the resiliency and how strong this community is and how adaptive they are and how they have integrated to the society and matter of fact, are making Edmonton thrive. It's a community that is growing. It's one of the fastest growing communities actually across Canada is in Alberta. It's African immigrant communities. And typically they're not economic immigrants, they're refugee immigrants. And that also has a completely different, just different perspectives in terms of how to engage in areas of social issues and social policy, right? when you are forcefully displaced from your home and you come to a land that you have no clue of and it was a result of colonization and enslavement that took place in your motherland, it's different than when you came to Canada voluntarily and you applied to be a skilled worker or you know uh, you applied to be an international student and those black folks have their issues as well they have their barriers of anti-black racism in academia in different spaces all I'm saying is when you're a refugee African person, the way you see the world is so different. And the way you understand humanity and the way you prioritize humanity is so different because you've been exposed to genocide, culturicide, displacement, forced location. And therefore you're not someone that settled in Canada and Edmonton for the sake of opportuni like opportunism. So that's why our youth are more prone to mass incarceration mental health, 
And that's why we're being attacked and targeted. And that's something that as much as we are one as a community and we show solidarity, we need to respect and understand that you can't just lump everyone in one piece, that we all have different lived experiences, we have different stories, we have different struggles, we have different privileges, we have different struggles in terms of how we overcome those privileges. And that's why I'm so passionate about 118 AV and 107 AV. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, sis, you, you are very passionate and I'm learning a lot as I'm, I'm doing this. One of the things you mentioned was Mayosoe in sneakers you know, is uh, photogenic anyhow. And just seeing him in Snickers, um, yeah, he would no doubt lose some calories, extra calories. <laughs> now, I'm wondering if during the walk around 107 and 118, someone will be with him, maybe yourself, to guide him to those Black Muslim women that ought to be celebrated. Because when you talk, so what we are dealing with here is the adaptability, the resiliency, and the entrepreneurship of Muslim women. And some of these women don't even have a megaphone to, to applaud themselves. They've just got to, my feeling is they have just carried on. They've just carried on. They've learned the language, they're trading, they got a store on 118 and no one has even ever acknowledged or seen them or even clapped for them before. Is this in the plan as the mayor does his work like this door? So 1217, I don't know, for example, this lady here with six children who sells makeup and, 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 and clothes and shoes and bags, we should give her something or we should just recognize her. We should celebrate her because she's been resilient and she's investing in Edmonton by opening the store. She's paying her taxes and some of her money is going into, yeah, is doing Edmonton, some good somehow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And what I love about these women, I would say aunties, um, they are, donors they are funders when a lot of somali organizations uh don't have money to support the people and the feds don't give them the funds the province don't give them the funds the city of edmonton don't doesn't give them the funds then what happens they get the funds from the business owners so aside from paying taxes they're also they invest in mosques they invest in masajids whether it's the masajids that disproportionately like significantly has a number of african muslims or pakistani muslims or arab muslims these aunties don't care they invest in all the masjids across edmonton and you're right they're investors they're donors they're breadwinners they're matriarch they're business owners but no one is acknowledging that and to add injury to the insult they're even being attacked now. Hmm. So there's something that's deeply like personal for me that it's like, seriously, this is where we got to, right? And, and what was the province's recommendation? Take a pepper spray and learn karate and defend yourself. And that showed their own Islamophobia, their own prejudice against African refugee people, right? So what does that tell you? That what I learned is not all skin folks are kin folks and not all of them will understand who you are and where you're from. And just because we're all African does not mean we share the same principle, um, especially everyone is, is motivated by their own experiences and their own pain and their own trauma. But when one person, when a black man doesn't deal with his trauma, he hurts the whole community and burns the village down. 
So our community is disappointed and there's a sense of feeling of betrayal, not only from the, the fact that all levels of government failed us, but also the fact that there was a betrayal that we experienced even within our own people. So we're trying to recover from that, but we're, we're always resilient. So that's something that will easily, we can easily bounce back from. But with that being said, you asked me earlier, who invested in you? I literally say the women in my community invested in me. I was raised by a mother who is so brilliant, so strong, so powerful, um, who came from a significantly wealthy and well-recognized family in all of Southern Somalia. Came to Canada and did not even know how to speak English and started from scratch and raised us in social housing and took literally our whole life, she fed us with $5 an hour working in a daycare. That's who raised me. So, and I come from a grandma that is so strong and always was the matriarch of what kept the family together. Matter of fact, when she died, we packed our bags and completely left Ontario because that's how much, you know, the impact of her loss. Um, and by extension, all these aunties that are thriving in our community is a mirror of my mother. It's a mirror of my grandmother and that's who invested in me. And they are Somali women um, and they own places like Capital Halal. They own places, they own so many different um, businesses, whether it's meat markets, whether it's clothing, whether it's beauty shops, things like that. I know that when my mother struggled and she couldn't afford food because the paycheck wouldn't come, what would she do? She would just go to the next Capital Halal and she would say, hey, or, or Northeast Halal meet Uncle Ali and them. And she would say, oh, I didn't get my paycheck yet. Boom, they give her all her money. She gets her paycheck in the first of the month and she pays for it. That's how we grew up. So it's people like those Somali community that invested in me. It's people like Dr. Bakula Salami from the Nigerian community that invested in my learning. It's people like Dr. Sophie Yuhani from the Tanzanian community that invested in me and made me who I am. Um, honestly, it's various of different people that are African Caribbean and black. We're all people of African descent. Somehow we share the same ancestral line, which is indigenous African people. And it's not just the Somali community that invested in me. It's various of different communities among the black community. But because I think that when you're doing work with community, it's also important that as you're serving people from diverse background, your own community has to trust you and honor you and respect you and see that you respect them prior to even going to any other community. And that's where my commitment to my community comes from because that's our own African you know, protocol from my culture. You can't just run to other communities and say, I wanna support them. Clean up your own house first, invest in your people first. Next, who's your brother? Who's your sister? Next, who's your neighbor? Next, who's your society? Who's within your province? Next, who's within national? So that's how we think, right? And a part of that is also the Islamic teachings that you know charity starts at home. So I'm not going to say that, hey, I'm not gonna talk about community, community, African indigeneity, and then I'm so disconnected from my own community right? So that's not who I am. But when I think about who shaped my learning and who invested in me, it was Somali women. It was Nigerian women. It was Tanzanian women. It was Caribbean women. It was Kenyan women. And that's who made me who I am right now. Mm -hmm. 
And that's mm. the power of community. Ooh, this oh, is making wow. me emotional. <laughs> well, you could not have said, uh, no one could have said it any better than yourself. So I appreciate. And one of, one, one, one of the things I'm learning from you as well is honor begets honor. I see you spend time honoring people. Honor will come back to you. I see you spend time appreciating people. Appreciation and love will come back to you. So I'm learning that as well. You, you get what you give. And I'm wondering in the sense, because I know the, the power of the Black Muslim bl women block or Somali women block. And at this stage, there are eight candidates running to replace the current premier. Is there any one candidate you're gathering around who will favor the, the cause of Black Muslim women? I'll be blunt, Sister T. I say right now, let's, let's put this into context. So the UCP, um, there, there's various people that are running for the leadership um, to be the premier of Alberta. Um, who is the best person? Well, I say, first of all, number one, I'm just going to be blunt. I'm supporting um, MLA Rajon. And the reason why is because various different reasons. Um, number one, when COVID-19 um, hit our community, all communities, um, internationally, I would even say, but how our leaders responded spoke to their level of leadership and insightfulness. A lot of leaders responded by anti-mask, uh, and I'm speaking specifically, let's speak, like let's stick to the context of the fact that it's a race for the UCP nomination, right? Some of them responded with anti-masker rhetorics. Some of them decided to be very divisive in terms of separating communities. Some of them just completely, although research was telling us that, you know, black and indigenous people were significantly being impacted and losing their life to COVID-19, there was not a lot of attention. But there was one person who looked at collaboration, community, um, and working collaboratively with community, but also with the federal government and the provincial government, and trying to figure out how to work with the city of Edmonton. That was Minister Rajan. When black Muslim women were attacked, the only minister that actually supported us, it wasn't our minister of justice who was an African man. He actually said, carry a pepper spray and learn how to you know, fight karate. Would you have said that to a white woman? I bet you, you wouldn't have. But anyways, um, it wasn't the minister who was in charge of the um, multicultural and, and gender at that time. It was minister Rajan. It was not even within her portfolio, but she fought for us. She advocated for us. She supported us with policies, designing policies, whether it was shut down, her hands were tight, it didn't matter. She fought for our people. I could say that. The other thing is she supported with resources. She's funded so many different black communities that are that served the greater black demographic. And it wasn't just black Muslims, it was the larger black community. And it wasn't just black people, it was a lot of ethnocultural racialized community. And it wasn't just racialized community, she, she supported all of Alberta and Albertans equally. Um, so the point is that her investment was not in one particular area rather than the other. But all she did is when she was drawing her map in terms of what is the best way to intervene, she ensured that equity-seeking communities that are from diverse communities were not left behind. It was inclusion. So that's another reason why we're supporting her. Aside from the fact that, you know, she's a very brilliant woman. Her background is in economics. 
Um, she is strong leader, um, but she showed her commitment to various of different communities and she showed her care, she showed her compassion. What I could tell you, Sister T, that a lot of people do not know is when all these attacks were happening, this is like six months before her daughter got attacked, she was on the phone with us. She stayed up with us till 12 a.m. She visited every single victim that was impacted. She helped with victim impact programs. She assisted in terms of, you know, significantly funding and building the capacity for those women communities that were being impacted. Our court program exists right now in terms of helping women fleeing violence at ASAC because of Minister Rajan. She's helped different communities with COVID-19 funds, with childcare funds, and she, even when there was barriers in terms of the traffic law that was happening in Edmonton and there was barriers that was being created for, Al for Albertans, she actually reversed that and advocated for that internally within her party. That's why I'm supporting her. That's why my mm. community is supporting her. That's why we're renting cars and we're driving all the way to Calgary to door knock for her, to donate to her, to endorse her. And it's not just me, literally all the elders came in a circle and they gave instructions, support Minister Rajan, simply because she has the community's back. Oh, that's powerful. I, oh, wow. Okay, so you see, that's why we invite, you know, heavyweights like you, we begin to learn things about what's going on. And I hear what you're saying. That, would you speak about, would you speak to the effectiveness of the resources received did, has he stopped the problem? Has he helped the problem? Has he ameliorated the problem? Where are we at in terms of the aggressiveness of the Islamophobia and to Black racism issues faced by Black Muslim women? Absolutely. That's an amazing question. And thank you so much for asking that. The truth is, when it comes to these type of attacks, it's historical. And whether we like it or not, we cannot deny that it's built in the fabric of sometimes what even makes up Alberta. Um, however, what I could say is that the problems continue. We need the federal government, the provincial government, and the municipal government to collaboratively work together and put their political stripes aside. I was going to say that the federal government launched a program right now that's uh, advisor to the prime minister's office in terms of anti-black, sorry, uh, Islamophobia. What we're hoping is that the person that is selected would have the intersectionality of being black and being Muslim and being um, and being a woman, because that's who's being impacted the most, in my opinion. Um, the other thing that I was going to say is that there's a lot of programs that are, you know, uh, pretty much, how do I say, there's a lot of programs that communities are investing and and building that blueprint. Because the truth is solutions should never ever come down from top down. It should always be from bottom up. But then there are things that all of our governments is aware of. For example, the rise of white supremacy, um, the rise of um, homicide in terms of in the hands of gender-based violence, the rise of xenophobia and Islamophobia and anti-black racism. So I still don't see anything that is concrete. There are efforts that are being made here and there by individuals that we feel have the best interests in our community. But when it's not a collective effort and the, that energy is not synchronized, that's where we lose at the end as community. With that being said, um, we're not naive to think that 
politicians will always advocate for us and represent us, but more so we will continue to advocate for ourselves. We will speak in terms of what works for us. For example, over-policing our community will not solve um, the hate against black Muslim women in Edmonton, but what will solve it is um, really looking at the the criminal code of Canada when it comes to hate motivated violence and what the federal government wants to do in terms of strengthening and making uh, and setting the precedence so no one just thinks that they can go and run a family over with a car or smash a black Muslim woman while she's walking in an alley on the uh, her, her face on the floor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The other thing is increasing victim services supports within provincially within EPS um, in terms of investigation. So where we need the police is when a hate-motivated crime happens. We need the police to investigate, lay those charges, and then follow up with the community in terms of where that person is at. And matter of fact, that would be a closure. The second thing is creating, um, uh, what is it called, crisis lines, where if you're a Black Muslim woman, you're experiencing hate-motivated crimes, this is where you could call. So we're just starting. We're recovering from COVID-19. We're recovering from so many different things. There's so many different things happening across the world that is really crisis-driven, and we all just need to slow down, ground ourselves, and say, okay, what is working and what is not working? Secondly, who are the leaders that we can work with to champion this? I'm going to tell you right now, for the UCP, the only leader that we know that can champion this is Minister, I'm sorry, MLA Rajan. In terms of the federal government, it's people like Minister Ahmed Hussein, MP Greg Fergus, Minister um, Mercy Ng. These are people that care. How do I know? Because they continuously show they continuously show their commitment, right? Um, and then within the city of Edmonton, I think that we need to put more pressure in terms of the city because there's a lot of gaps within bureaucracy. But I believe that we do have a mayor who's willing to listen, who could be held accountable, who will implement, and who bared the brunt of racism and racial attacks himself. So he intimately understands that. He might not be Black, he might not be Muslim, he might not be a woman, but he has advisors within his team and his staff that come from these communities that will advocate for us. So that is, it's a, it's a long road but I think that's where our community resiliency and commitment to community comes. I don't think funding one little program can, can solve the problem. We need a robust system. And, and that's why I say that we need to hold every level of government accountable. The question is what leaders do we believe can even be held accountable and have a vested interest in our community? Mm. Oh, what did I do? <laughs> I beg your pardon. I don't know what I did. I was just going to say, uh, oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel so, like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're eating the, the right notes, uh, the right keys. And I cannot wait to hear this back on audio. I'm interested. How can we support your work? How can we galvanize our community to back your community and so on to, because this work is just starting. And I like when you say that some funding here, there won't solve the problem because we're just at the very beginning and COVID is only just clearing up. Even if it is, you know, we're still stuck and we're still there. So how can we support what you do? How can we make meaningful change to, 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 to the bulk of the work that you do day in and day out, sis? Let me, let me tell you a story, T, that a lot of people don't know. Provincially, there was a minister who just had a way of disrespecting our community constantly 
um, saying things like, if black Muslim women are attacked, that's not his constituency. And he happened to be a black man within our provincial government. Um, carry a pepper spray, carry karate. So when I went to go hold this person accountable, it was more like, I'll fund you, I'll give you money. And I said, nope. And that's one thing that he made public. Oh, I offered to fund her and she refused. Throwing breadcrumbs at our face when our own mothers and sisters are being attacked, that's not how things roll. We have a lot more dignity than that as a community. If you wanna support my work, then support our work as a community. When multiple communities that are directly impacted by this is telling you, we need more support that's robust, that's intentional, that is designed in a way that will help all people, because if you help the most excluded, the most marginalized equity-seeking group, then by extension, everybody will benefit from it. That is what we know, and that's what research tells us. So with that being said, I would say working with not just like all mosques are impacted, but no one even realizes that there's a black Muslim mosque in Edmonton that no one has ever built their infrastructure in terms of security cameras in terms of investing in victim services programs, they're completely neglected. And that's Sahaba Mestri. Um, and that breaks my heart. Also investing in communities, multiple communities by helping one black woman, you've helped all our black women. So if you wanna help me then invest in the work that my sisters are doing, but my sisters have to be true to the work that they're doing and understand how to show solidarity. As I said, um, these attacks have really exposed the internalized Islamophobia, Afrophobia, mm -hmm. and also really discounting the experience of African refugee Black Muslim communities. That's a pretty loaded experience right there. So I feel like as much as we deal with anti-Black racism, we deal with Afrophobia. And that is a whole body of knowledge that we're still trying to make sense of. And it ties back to the colonizers. It ties back to slavery. It ties back to imperialism. And that's where the issue is. And a lot of African folks, when they come to Canada and they're new here and they have an opportunity, the first thing that they do is they laterally enact violence on their own people. And that's lateral violence. So the question is, how do we support one another? First of all, it's making sense of our pain, is holding spaces. It's collaboratively working together it's not breaching each other's trust and it's respecting our capacity and competency as black Muslim people, but as black people as a whole, because black people, we all have a shared pain. And I would say people of African descent because we were in our motherland before we were displaced, before we were forcefully relocated or before we were stolen from our own land, right? So that's where we need to be true to who we are and go back because the Guinean um, ancient concept of samfoka, it's to go back and look at who you were and what belonged to you and to reclaim and to pass it down to the people in front of you. So I feel like people should not run to, here's an intervention, here's an intervention just for the sake of money grabbing, but really on a deep, deep level, critically thinking about who are these communities? Where am I from? How are we all being impacted? And how did we keep each other safe? Because I'm gonna tell you the truth, when I was traced by white supremacy groups, I drove really quickly and my friend, same thing. And we went to the Somali restaurant and we parked there. And when they came out of their car, 
bunch of African uncles came out from the restaurant and they stopped eating and that's how they walked away. I didn't call police. Mm. That's a story that should tell you about this community and oh, how they wow. develop their resiliency. Oh, wow. Because I know it takes a person seven minutes to bleed to death. And if I called police, I might have not been alive. So that's the type of community we have here. You can't negate that and just say, I know better. You don't know better because you're not from that community. So even if you're black, you need to have a sense of humility to understand that I've never been in a refugee. I've never been in, in the Dab camp. I've never been in Kakuma camp. I've never been sexually assaulted in a refugee camp by my own sisters and brothers because of colonial violence. I've never been surveilled because of the anti-Islamic rhetoric of terrorism watch. I've never been on one hand called the N-word by white folks and even my own brothers and sisters that are Muslim that are not black and then on the other hand called a terrorist. If you're not if you're not experiencing that, then show some sort of humility. And that's why other black folks can run to recommendations like pepper spray and karate because you're not from these communities. If you are not a person that have directly been uprooted forcefully from your continent and generationally enslaved, then show, show some humility. Mm. All African people were impacted by colonization. All African people were impacted by slavery. Whether we wanna call ourselves African, Caribbean, black, it's up to you. The point is our story starts in Africa and our healing starts in Africa. And, and I see some black folks showing Afrophobia, right? Don't even want to be associated with it. So I'm learning how to proudly say, I'm an African woman, I'm indigenous to the continent. This is what happened to my people, but this is our ceremony. This is our dance, this is our language. This is our food. This is how we healed. And I think that is the biggest thing I was going to say as we propose strategies for the federal government, for the provincial government, for the municipal. Don't put all your eggs in one basket and think that these institutions are meant for you and will protect you. Our own African indigenous knowledge systems that the ancient communities such as our brothers from Nigeria, Ghana, Somalia, Ethiopia, Cameroon, you name it, South Africa, these are still alive. But when you disconnect from your culture, that's when you start to embody that colonial violence that you yourself internalize. Um, so that's all I'm going to say. My sister, you've said a lot to provoke our listeners, to provoke me. And I hope people who listen, who pick this up on YouTube and podcasts would, would invite perhaps the spirit of humility to learn to actually hear what you're saying because what you're saying is deeper than, than both of us. And I, I wanna thank you for, for giving us a lot to think about, that the work is only just beginning. But broadly, I also wanna say thank you because I have known you a couple of years now. You always put your mouth where your money is, or you see your money where your mouth is. You support LCC Media as well. You, you have not sat down and watched us burn. You have invested in our magazine. And without your support, I don't know if this edition would have been possible. So I want to say a big thank you for that. And to our audience who may want to support us, visit our website forward, ladiescorner.ca forward slash support the work we do. You, you support us. And this is the spirit of what you're talking about. We should get our hands in the work alongside with you. 
And this is what I hope LCC Media will carry on doing. And I hope more people listening will be burnt. Well, they'll be on fire to join you in the work. Um, even though the work can be mentally exhausting, the work can be tiring, but it's valuable work. It's meaningful work. It's work um, that brings healing at the end of the day. So my sister, I don't want to let you go. I feel I'm being reoriented. I'm learning to be to be better as a, as a woman, as a female, as an African. I'm also understanding more what life could be from the lens of a black Muslim woman. And this is what we try to do. What you try to do in the write-up in our current um, magazine with the OU Collective. And I, I cannot say thank you so much for opening our eyes. But even though we're all black people, um, it's the, the lens is different if you're a refugee African. If you've come in as a refugee, you've maybe even fought more demons than the rest of us who came in economically, the rest of us who are maybe struggling in different aspects as well. Um, so you've given us a lot of food for thought, and I want to say thank you. It is a Saturday night, and I know your husband is somewhere, you know, ready. Sorry, I think you're muted on my end. Oh. Lord. Oh, perfect. I can hear okay, you. Okay, I'm back. Yeah, I really you. don't know what happened. That was Mr. weird. Mr. T, I, I was going to say that first and yeah. foremost, I have so much love for you. I have grew Thank to you. really yeah. respect you. And we respect LCC Media Foundation because of the process that you take when you write the story. You are our sister, you are our family, you protect us, you support us, you love us, and you are genuinely the way, I just love the, the way you work and I admire how brilliant, how powerful, how beautiful you are. You're one person that we will always be committed to supporting and that we don't really you know, it's like people always say a prophet is not um, valued in his own or her own home, right? That's how I feel about you, uh, your critical lens, your thinking, the way you support our youth. Edmonton is so lucky to have you. I am lucky to call you my sister. We trust you, we believe in you, and you truly showed us how all black folks can work together in solidarity because just like you said we're all healing from our own pain the fact that you're a black person in north america that right there is a struggle enough but within that struggle like you said there's different struggles so i'm not naive to understanding that my brothers and sisters regardless of their economic how they came here we all have struggles all i'm saying is to just be humble enough to learn from one another and you are someone that taught me so much and I admire you, I love you, we respect you. And the segment that you wrote for the Hoyo Collective, I have businesses across Alberta saying, now that woman can write and her team. And I know it was a Nigerian sister and a Somali sister that tag team, Judith and Kauta, and they have produced that. What you taught us and what you are teaching Edmonton is how to, you know, the, the idea of Pan-Africanism that Marcus Garvey taught us that our, our ancestors, whether they're from Nigeria, Ghana, Cameroon, Congo, Somalia, Ethiopia, it doesn't matter. 
This is what our people taught us. They all spoke the same spirit. 